0: You're listening to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. Support for this project is provided by listeners like you. Visit my website at p3photographers.net for ideas on how you too can become a supporter of the project. Welcome to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols, the podcast where we celebrate early women artisan photographers. I'm your host, Lee McIntyre. In today's episode, I want to introduce you to the incredible story of a photographer named Mrs. Sarah Luce Larimer. For more information about any of the women discussed in today's episode, visit my website at p3photographers.net. That's letter P, number three, photographers.net. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. I'm your host, Lee McIntyre. As I mentioned at the end of the last episode, today we're gonna be discussing the life and adventures of a woman named Sarah Luce Larimer. Now, Sarah was the older sister of Frank Luce Albright, who was the subject of the last episode. Sarah was one of the oldest children of Jonathan and Sarah Luce, born in 1836. And by the age of 20, Sarah was already married to a man named William Larimer. By the late 1850s, the Larimers moved to Iowa, and then they later settle in Iola, Kansas, where Mrs. Larimer runs a photography gallery in the early 1860s. Sarah's husband, William, was originally a farmer, but when war breaks out, he serves as lieutenant in the Kansas Regiment. He's later discharged for medical reasons, and that happens before 1864. So then, in May of 1864, William and Sarah take their 8-year-old son, Frank, and head west to try building a new life in the West. Now, skipping ahead a couple of years to 1866, we find both William and Sarah running a photography gallery in Julesburg, Colorado. A couple of years later, they've moved to a place called Sherman Station in Wyoming, which is really just a small stop, a whistle stop, if you would between Cheyenne and Laramie, Wyoming, on the railroad. While they're in Sherman Station, Sarah is running several businesses, including a photography gallery and a general store, and also a wood-cutting business. Now, you might recall that when I talked about Frank Albright last time, in 1870, Sarah and William Larimer are living in Wyoming, and that's where Sarah's mother and two of her younger sisters, including Frank, are living. Since Sarah has been a photographer at this point for several years, starting back to the 1860s in Kansas, perhaps Frank Luce opens her gallery back in Kansas because she's learned photography from her older sister Sarah while they're living in Wyoming. I don't have any direct evidence that that happened, but it seems plausible that that could have been the case. In any event, the Laramers stay in Wyoming just a couple more years before they move back to Kansas themselves in 1874. In Kansas, Mrs. Larimer opens yet another studio, first in Longton, Kansas, and then by- she's operating a studio in Humboldt, Kansas. Although there was that brief mention of William Larimer also doing photography in Colorado over there for a year or so, it's really Mrs. Larimer who's running the businesses, including the photography galleries. She's only partnered with her husband for that short period of time there in Colorado. William Larimer, who had been a farmer, eventually gets a law degree, and in the 1870s and afterwards, he's practicing as an attorney first in Kansas, and then later in the Dakota territories by 1880. Interestingly, Mrs. Larimer is living in Humble, Kansas in 1880 with her son Frank, who's now in his early 20s, but William is living in the Dakota territories, where I said, he's a lawyer. But both Sarah and William still list themselves as married, so maybe this was just some sort of 19th century long-distance relationship. And certainly they seem to be on amicable terms throughout their lives, even when they aren't living together. And actually when William dies in 1895, he leaves most of his estate to Sarah. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Back in Humboldt, Kansas, in the late 1870s and early 1880s, Mrs. Larimer's photograph rooms on Bridge Street is really a thriving business. She's very popular in town, and she appears in the social notices quite frequently. She's also got ads in the newspaper, too, of course, just like all the other women photographic entrepreneurs that we meet here on the podcast. Mrs. Larimer opens her studio in Humboldt, as I said, in 1874, and it's a huge success for the next 11 years. Oh, just a quick side. My husband Chris recently has been doing some genealogy detective work on his father's side of the family. As it turns out, Chris's great-great-grandmother Addie, who was widowed in 1870 and raising four young children all on her own, actually moves to Humboldt, Kansas with her mother and her extended family in 1875. Mrs. Gale, as Grandma Addie was then called, appears in social notices from time to time, and clearly moves in the same circles as Mrs. Larimer. I think it's definitely plausible that Grandma Addie had visited Mrs. Larimer's studios. Certainly, she knew Mrs. Larimer. And I would be surprised if Grandma Addie didn't have at least one photo of her kids taken at Mrs. Larimer's. But I digress. Getting back to Sarah Larimer, In 1885, she decides to close up that store in Humboldt, Kansas. She puts a notice in early July of 1885 saying that her studio will be closing on July 20th and that people should come in soon if they want one last photograph taken by Mrs. Larimer. People in town are very sorry to see her go, particularly someone in the interstate newspaper in Humboldt, which publishes quite the tribute to her. Let me just read you this tribute, or farewell notice, published in the Interstate Newspaper in Humboldt, Kansas on July 9th, 1885. It reads, Mrs. Larimer has sold her gallery in the city and retires from business and society here on the 20th of this month. Given to literary work, she has written several books. In her life of temperance, she has also taken prohibition as her guide. She has lived here for many years and amassed quite a fortune. We extend to her our best wishes for her welfare, whatever her lot may be cast, and if she has made any mistakes in life, that she may consider them her helps and not her hindrances. She's an artist, photographer, and queen of the palettes and brush. May her lines and interline be woven with the knowledge of the truth and an experience redolent with lessons of unfailing and perfect success. That's the end of the notice. Now, clearly, Mrs. Larimer was very well-regarded. But even though it sounds like Mrs. Larimer is retiring from photography, her gallery in Humboldt turns out not to be the last one she ever runs. But over the next decade, first she'll suffer quite a few family tragedies. Her mother passes away in 1889, her son Frank dies suddenly at a young age in 1891, and her husband William dies, as I have mentioned earlier, in 1895. But by the late 1890s, Mrs. Larimer has moved to Fort Worth, Texas, where she has some nieces and nephews, and she winds up operating yet another photography studio there until 1912. Mrs. Larimer passes away in 1913, having amassed a fortune worth a half million dollars when she dies. That estate is shared by her surviving siblings and children of siblings who died before her. And that includes Frank Luce Albright, the sister that I talked about last week, who died in 1912. I'll refer you back to that episode for a few more details about Claude Albright, Sarah's niece, who inherits quite a fortune from her aunt Sarah there in 1913. So that's the basic story of Mrs. Sarah Luce Larimer, a very successful early women partisan photographer. I don't think that Chris and I have completely tracked down all the galleries she actually ran in all the different locations all over the U.S., but her career spanned nearly 60 years, starting in the early 1860s and continuing until just a year or two before she died in 1913. But, and with apologies to Paul Harvey for stealing his line, now I need to tell you the rest of the story of Sarah Luce Larimer. You see, I skipped over some key details from 1864 when Sarah and William headed west with that wagon train. The Laramers were bringing with them gold and jewelry in order to start their new lives in Montana, where they were headed, and they also brought with them Mrs. Laramers' photographic equipment, since the plan was for her to start a new photograph studio when they got to Montana. The wagon train included another couple, Josiah and Fanny Kelly, and their little daughter, Mary. There were a few other men as well, which included a couple of the Kelly's servants, as well as a minister. Josiah Kelly's health had not been the best up until this point and Mr. and Mrs. Kelly were hoping that the air out west would help Josiah recover. So the wagon train starts out from Kansas in May 1864, headed for the Montana Territory. And by July 12, 1864, the group had reached Little Box Elder Creek, Wyoming, which is on the Oregon Trail. However, when they get there, a group of Sioux attack. And in the battle that ensues, One of the Kelly servants and the minister are both killed. William Larimer and another servant are wounded, but manage to escape with Josiah Kelly, the only man uninjured in the attack. Mrs. Larimer and Mrs. Kelly, and their two children, Frank Larimer and Mary Kelly, are left behind with the group of Sioux. After the wagon is looted, Mrs. Larimer and her son are loaded onto one horse, Mrs. Kelly and her daughter onto another, and they're led away by their Sioux attackers it's not much of a spoiler to say that you already know that Mrs. Larimer and her son survive, of course, because I've already talked about what happens to them well after 1864. However, after the starting off with the Sioux on their trail, Mrs. Larimer waits until the group reaches and makes camp that first evening, and she manages to slip out of the camp with her son, making her way overland for two days until she reaches an American fort. The story of her escape and journey is really quite amazing, since when she slips out of camp, she didn't have shoes for either herself or her son, nor any protection from the sun that beat down on them for days in the hot July weather. And More crucially, they didn't have any food or water with them, and it was very hard to locate. It really is an incredible tale of survival that you can read in Mrs. Larimer's 1870 book called Capture and Escape, or Life Among the Sioux. In addition to her tale of survival, what I also find amazing when I read her story is to just realize what it was like back in 1864 in terms of getting news. After Mrs. Larimer makes it to the fort, she initially receives news that her husband William has died from his injuries. She doesn't find out for quite a while that he's actually alive, and of course, he doesn't know that she's alive. They're eventually reunited in Colorado, which probably explains why they're living there in 1866 and running a photography gallery there. All of their belongings were lost on the wagon train, so they had to send for new equipment to set up their first studio when they're out west. But I know what you're thinking. Whatever happened to Mrs. Kelly and her daughter Mary? Well, that's a little more complicated and quite a bit more tragic. Now, the mindset of both Mrs. Kelly and Mrs. Larimer was that it was preferable to risk death than to risk what lay ahead when they got to the Sioux camp. Mrs. Larimer's plan, of course, was to wait for dark and slip away, and that's what she did with her son. Mrs. Kelly, though, saw an opportunity while they were initially riding on the horses on that trail, and she put her daughter down and told her to run back toward the site of the wagon, hoping that some of the men might still be around to rescue her. Unfortunately, Mary Kelly did not find any friendly people, and whoever found her actually killed her. She was apparently, they assume later, killed by the group of Sioux who went after her when they discovered she was missing. Mrs. Kelly is unsuccessful at ever escaping, and winds up living with the Sioux for many months before being released or rescued in 1865. It depends on your point of view in terms of what happened eventually to have her wind up at an American fort. But in her case, it also takes a few months until she learns about the death of her daughter, and also the fact that her husband actually is alive. They're reunited, but unfortunately, Josiah Kelly's health was never great, and it never really recovers, even though he wasn't injured in the attack. He dies just a couple years later, leaving Fanny Kelly a widow. Mrs. Kelly then goes to live with the Laramers in Wyoming. They had been acquaintances before the wagon train, and of course now they have this shared experience of the attack. But the friendship with the Laramers doesn't last. Remember I said Mrs. Larimer wrote a book about her experience, published in 1870? Well, Fannie Kelly publishes her own book in 1871. Her book is called Narrative of My Captivity Among the Sioux Indians. Moreover, Mrs. Kelly sues Mrs. Larimer, claiming that Mrs. Larimer actually stole her original manuscript. Now, the lawsuit drags on through the courts for the next five years. Fanny Kelly wins the first few rounds, but then in 1876, she suddenly withdraws her claim and pays all the court costs. I really wish we knew the rest of that story because I couldn't find any article in any newspaper that explained why Fannie Kelly would have so abruptly dropped her lawsuit after all those years. In any case, both of those books are available for free on the Internet Archive website. I'll put links to both of them in the episode notes. and You can read them and decide for yourself if you think that Mrs. Larimer actually copied Mrs. Kelly's work. Mrs. Kelly, of course, spent much more time with the Sioux than Mrs. Larimer, so there's a lot of over-the-top descriptions in Mrs. Kelly's book about how she constantly outwitted the Native Americans time and time again and escaped death on numerous occasions. Both Mrs. Larimer and Mrs. Kelly include accounts of the moment after the attack at Little Box Elder Creek, of course, when they and their children were left with their Sioux attackers. Mrs. Kelly describes a harrowing incident when the Native Americans are destroying Mrs. Larimer's photographic equipment in the wagon. Mrs. Larimer, according to Mrs. Kelly, became hysterical and the leader of the Sioux group was poised to kill Mrs. Larimer as a result of her hysterics. According to Mrs. Kelly's account, it was only thanks to her own intervention with the chief that Mrs. Larimer's life was spared. Mrs. Larimer's account, however, Interestingly, includes no mention of that incident at all. So make of that what you will. As I said, I'll include links to both books in the show notes for today's episode. One final note, though, about Mrs. Larimer. For several years in a row, in the late 1890s and the early 1900s, there's what seems to be a press release that is carried in newspapers all across the U.S. with exactly the same retelling of the story of Sarah Larimer and the Raid in 1864— with the curious line that Mrs. Larimer is now on her, quote, annual pilgrimage to Washington, D.C. to meet with the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Both Mrs. Larimer and Mrs. Kelly sued the Verdra government to get reparations for all of their possessions that were lost in the raid. They also leveraged the fact that they provided the army with information on the location of the Sioux, which helped the army in other ways. Both Mrs. Larimer and Mrs. Kelly were awarded money as a result but the government took a rather long time in actually paying them. Mrs. Larimer doesn't seem to have gotten most of it until the early 1900s, so maybe that's what all of those, quote, pilgrimages were all about. In any case, Mrs. Larimer's book today is not nearly as well-known as Mrs. Kelly's, but then again, Mrs. Kelly's story was a little bit more dramatic. She lived with the Sioux for many months, not just a day like Mrs. Larimer. And of course, Mrs. Kelly's daughter, sadly, had a tragic fate. But here on the podcast, of course, we celebrate all of Mrs. Larimer's life, not just her one brush with adventure in 1864, but also the entirety of her career as a successful early woman artisan photographer, even though her photographic work is a little hard to track down. However, my husband and I have found one example of her work, a carte de visite, small size photo from her studio in Humboldt, Kansas. We still hold out hope for one day finding a photo taken at Mrs. Larimer's photograph rooms of my husband's great great grandma Addie. Now that would be something to find. But I'll put the picture of the carte visite that my husband and I found of Mrs. Larimer's photographic work in the notes for today's episode. You'll find that, as always, on the website at p3photographers.net. That's letter P, number 3photographers.net. and I'll put those links to Mrs. Larimer's and Mrs. Kelly's books that are available on the Internet Archive website. As I said, they're freely available and offered in multiple digital formats. If you have any questions or just want to drop me a note, send an email to podcast at p3photographers.net. And remember, you can follow Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols on Facebook at facebook.com p3photographers. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for stopping by. Until next time, I'm Lee, and this is Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols.